is a message from one of our Sunday celebrations. And you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. Friends, I know we're in for an absolute treat this morning. I've asked Satan to, uh, to share uh, both his story and uh, God's word with us and really whatever God puts on his heart for us this morning. Uh, I want you to open your hearts to hear from him and indeed to hear from the Lord. So let's welcome Dr. Satan Lee. Can you hear me? Yes. Yeah, okay. I'm on. <laughs> well, it's good. Uh, it's been a delight to be here in England again. This is my trip number six to England. And finally, I discovered, like at the man breakfast yesterday, I said it again. I thought England was nothing but one pub in one village. So that's the first five trip I came. I was staying in a little tiny village in northern England, and there's nothing out there. Absolutely nothing. And uh, so, actually, I discovered that you have a mall here, so that's good. Um, I will tell my wife that, and I took some picture and proved to her that there's some some shopping center in England. (laughs) um, It's just always good to be in the house of the Lord, regardless of where I'm at. Uh, Actually, now I'm in England next week. Actually, next Sunday, I'm also in England, in Manchester, and then the following week, I will be in America for two days, and then the rest will be in Cambodia until next year. So I'll be traveling, and my body have no idea where I'm at. So I woke up at 11.30 this last night, and then stay up until 4 and go to sleep a little bit in time to come here. So if I fall asleep, please forgive me. That's just, just part of life called jet lag. Um, just 37 years ago, pretty much in that frame time, uh, Cambodia, my homeland, experienced a traumatic change. And the change that any human on this world do not want to experience. And though change is happening all of a sudden, it's not like, you know, take a little bit of the time to do that kind of chain. It's just chain over a course of a few minutes. Cambodia was celebrating their New Year's on April 14 to April 17. And April 17 is one of the very most significant day in our country, mainly with the Buddhist religion. On April 17 is a day where the temple leader, the Buddhist temple leader, doing a huge big ceremony to honor the God that we worship, mainly the image of Buddha. And every single temple, there's, depending on the temple, there's range anywhere from 30 to 50 Buddhist image, from the very little one all the way to the large one. Some temple is huge, big. It can fill this room. 
just for one image. So depend on the locality and the area. So what happened on April 17, uh, the people of Cambodia, mainly in the temple, the religious leader will do all the ceremony, the chanting, and then they will use the best possible, most expensive perfume to wash the idol, from the very small to the large one. And soon after they'd done all that, it took about an hour or so. Then they will release the idol god to the community, to the people. Meaning that any image that they can carry out from the temple into the temple courts outdoor, they will release it to the people to do so. So what happened was that at that time, you know, people was anxious and lined up to do that kind of ceremony once a year. That's all the opportunity you have. My family is very committed Buddhist. So we were so anxious to do this. And my grandfather and my grandmother was basically the head of the family. So they have the most privilege in our family to do first. So as soon as they brought the, the idol out into the temple court, my grandfather and my grandmother was sort of a senior in the city. So they allowed them to do first and our family get to do thereafter. So we did what we've been told to do was the idol. And then, you know, rinse it and do, and hoping that we earn merit to heaven somehow. That's what we've been taught. And other people's doing the same thing. And then later, the religious leader will tell us to basically sprinkle water to one another, signifying the New Year blessing. So usually it starts from the elderly all the way down to the very young in the community. So my parents would sprinkle water on, you know, there's 14 in my family, so my mom is a very busy woman. She has 14 kids, three sets of twins, so there's six of them. And so she's a very busy woman. So my parents sprinkle water on her head and say, kid, Happy New Year. And then we, in return, we sprinkle water back to them. Say, Mom and Dad, we love you. Happy New Year. And then kid, teenager normally, when we receive instruction to go ahead and do New Year's blessing to one another, I hope it's only Cambodian kid, not English kid. Teenager, we don't like just sprinkle water. We, we fill up a bucket of water and we pour on each other's head. That's what kids in Cambodia do. And I did the same. But I was so busy with family. I got a large family, so therefore I didn't have enough time to basically go and get a bucket where my friend did first. As soon as the leader, the religious leader, released us to do that, here I am. I got wet. My friend just poured water on my head. And then I told one of my best friends named Dara, I said, Dara, I'm going to get you. And then I ran quite fast to the family car and got the bucket. 
It's already filled up with water, a little bit of mud in there. I enjoyed doing that. And when I got my bucket, it was a little bit of mud, was ready to do the dara, and the next thing I find out, dara was lay flat on the ground, dead. That was like two minutes after he poured water on my head. What happened was that when we was doing this kind of celebration, the Khmer Rouge, which is red, Cambodia, communist, was unloaded, truckload of young soldier whose age range from 15 to 16 years old, equipped with rifle, AK-47, and wasteful of hand grenade. They just coming down and start shooting at people. Label everyone as the enemy of the revolution. And that was a shocking moment of my life. Again, I tried to do it, tried to get back to my friend Dara, but he's already dead. At this time, I just dropped the bucket of water and a little mud in there, ran for life. And then quite a number of people was not able to make it, but some of us did. In my situation, I ran home, hoping that I have some safe heaven out there. Unfortunately, Khmeru soldier everywhere in town. So this is the chain that I'm talking about. It's all of a sudden, it's happening. Soon after that, you hear an announcement on the radio telling that those who are students, those who are educated, those who belong to the government, or those who are military personnel, let's postpone the Cambodian New Year. Let's go back home and dress up with your school uniform, military uniform, police uniform, professional uniform, and go to your professional place or school or respected university or college that you belong. And we're going to go together to welcome our beloved king, who's been on exile for so many, in the last four or five years, King Norodom Sino. We're going to go and welcome him back to the country. That's the propaganda the Khmer will use. A lot of people, including many of my classmates, actually almost all of my classmates in the medical school, in a hurry went home and got on their school uniform and went to a school and what the Khmer Rouge did is that they load them up in, in, in buses on the train and hauled them out of the city and shooting and kill all of them. It estimated about half of a million people was executed in the afternoon of April 17, 1975. What happened to me then? Because of the incidents that took place in the Buddhist temple where my friend Dara was killed instantly in front of my very own eye. Not only that, my grandparent was killed. My brother was killed. And so many other relatives that I love has been killed. So I don't trust any single word that the Khmer Rouge said. So I went home just like anybody out, but instead of put on the school uniform, I find the most ugly, old, wreckage clothes that possible that I can find in the, in the house. And actually, one old clothes that my brother, 
used to kind of clean the floor. That's what I used, and I wore that. And I begin my journey out. The Khmer Rouge, a few hours later, after they kill all the intellects, then they begin to tell everyone to evacuate the city, the highway and the byway, using another propaganda saying that the American going to send B-52 aircraft to bomb in every city, highway and byway. Therefore, we must leave as quick as we can. And don't worry about little kid, about family member. We're going to be reunited in a few days. That's another propaganda. Whether you want to believe them or not, at gunpoint, the Khmer Rouge forced everyone to leave town. So I'm on the journey with that dirty clothes, and every time I met with those young soldiers, which is about my age, I was 16 and a half at the time, and they asked me, are you one of those students? I say, no, I am not. You look at my clothes. I'm just a farm boy. Oftentimes, they will show me the piece of paper with written information on it and ask me to read for them. They try to test my ability, whether I'm learning or I'm a student or I'm, I'm educated or not. You know what I do? I will turn the paper upside down, pretending like I know nothing about anything. I can't read. So I just smile to them. I said, you know, I'm just a farm boy. I've never been educated. I don't know what you're talking about. So I put the paper upside down. This is the trick that I've been doing for the next four years in the killing field of Cambodia, from 1975 to 79. I've been put it into a youth camp, known as a youth concentration camp. And the population in the youth camp that I was in was 1,000. There's 1,000 young men and women, young teenagers, range from 14 to 19 years old. And the very first day, as the Khmer Rouge start coming in to our youth camp, it was assigned to three individuals to be in charge of our youth camp. And the three individuals in my youth camp happened to be all girls. And they range about 15 years old. The one in the middle, you know, they stood right in front of our face. There's 1,000 kids were sitting around listening to their instruction. And the one in the middle have a pistol. It was fully loaded. He did it right in front of us. And it's kind of twisted around. And I happened to sit not too far from the front row. It's very scary to see a young woman fully loaded with bullet and then playing around with the gun. Let alone the two kind of stood this way, one this way with AK-47 rifle, and they fully load, and they shoot to the air a couple times just to let us know that that gun is working. And here, let me tell you, when a few teenagers together, normally they make a little bit of noise, regardless of nationality or where they come from or what culture they're involved in. But let me tell you, this time there's 1,000 teenagers together. It's not in a building like this. It's in the open, but it's a pin drop. You can hear them. Nobody move. Nobody say a word. Nobody make any significant anything whatsoever. We was all anxious in a state of shock, afraid, and fear. You name it. 
And then the one in the middle walked, stepped forward, and hear what she said. Friend, I want to tell you here. Listen carefully. You're no longer free. You are now a slave. We kind of look at each other. And that's a term that nobody wants to hear. And then they went on and said, you know, your mom and your dad was giving you so many different names. It's so stupid. It's confusing. One thousand of you have one thousand different names. The revolution, Anka, the organization on high, gracious, very gracious for all of you. Forget about the name has been given by your parent. Now you all have one common name, comrade. Wow. I'm no longer Sitan. I become comrade. All of a sudden. Whether I want it or not, I became comrade. And then she went on. She said, now remember, you're no longer free. You are a slave. And there's a rule and regulation come with it. And as a slave, you could have a couple thousands of rules, but the organization on high is very gracious for you. So he summarized to only three. When they use term he, that means appointed to one individual by the name of Paul Pot, a dictator whom none of us know anything about. But he gave us three different rules as a slave. Let me tell you rule number one. You cannot ask any question. Rule number two, you cannot show any of your emotion. Rule number three, if you do neither one of those two rules, you'll be dead. Just very Natural for a young girl. Universal. The reaction was coming right away as soon as they heard that they received those kind of rules. They were freaked out and frightening. And there's a dozen of girls screaming, Mommy, Daddy, Mommy, we are scared. We are so scared. And the moment they said that, they broke rule number two. They showed their emotion. The three evil Cameroon soldiers were so angry with those dozens of girls who expressed their emotion because they've been feared. They went and grabbed a hold of their hair and dragged them to the front and smashed them on the face, broke all their teeth, hitting them with a gun and a bayonet and push them, drag them to the front and start pulling their fingernail and pour acid on it, poke their eyeball out, and they all instantly die. And then the Kameru girl went on and said, you get the message. You get the message. If you broke the rule, this is what you're going to get. Ladies and gentlemen, the remaining four years, that's how the condition we've been living. Being a slave was not easy. 
We've been forced to work 20 hours a day on starvation diet. We was greeting, we was hungry, we was yearning for freedom. I witnessed my friend die every day. The next three years, more than half of the population in my youth camp died. And four years later, it's only 87 out of 1,000 survived. And I'm one of them who survived. Some of you may ask me, well, what, what were you thinking during those four years? Have you had any dream? Yes, I did have a lot of dream. Even though the mud was my mattress, the sky was my roof. That's how I conditioned we slept for four years. But I still have dream. And oftentimes my dream was about food and about freedom. It's unusual. Living in England, you probably won't dream about food. You have plenty. Like breakfast yesterday, you got plenty. But in my condition and the condition of million other people in Cambodia during those times, most people when I encounter who survived the killing field, I ask them the very same question. Have you had any dream during those four difficult years? And they all say the same thing. We dream about freedom. We dream about food. One time I just give you one of my dreams. As I slept in the mud and the rain was poor like crazy. But nevertheless, you're too tired. So you slept anyway. And then I have a dream. A dream is that my parent, my beloved parent, was walking toward me. And there was a huge, big smile on their face. They said, Seton, I'm going to bring you to eat. And I'm going to bring you to a very nice restaurant. And I was so happy. I went with them in my dream. As soon as we got in the restaurant, the waiters came with a, a menu. And they present the menu to me. So what do you want, sir, today? I say, everything is in the menu. Please cook for me. That was in my dream. I want it all because I thought this is the only time I'm going to have food, even in my dream. And I enjoy it. I enjoy freedom that I have in my parents and also enjoy the food in my dream. Only that I woke up wet in the mud and my stomach was hurting worse than ever. In reality, I have no food. In reality, it's only in my dream. That was the condition I was in. So I met somebody in America as I spoke in one church. At the end of the service, the gentleman came toward me, and he embraced me, and he said, Sir, will you please pray for me? Because I've been addicted with smoke all of my life. And my doctor told me that I need to quit smoking. If I don't, I'm going to die soon because I have a lung cancer. But I can't quit. I want you to pray for me. Because every time I, I try to quit smoking, I'm just grieving. I just, I just want to have cigarette, longing to have another cigarette. And before I pray for him, I said, just like 
my condition in the killing field of Cambodia. Just like you. I know the feeling. He said, you've been a smoker? I say, no, I was not a smoker, and thank God for that. But what I'm trying to tell you is this. When I was a slave in the killing field of Cambodia, I was longing for freedom. I was graving for freedom, just like you are graving for another cigarette. So I know how you feel. But together, we believe in God Almighty that he's going to set both of us free. So I pray for a gentleman expecting miracle. A month later, I receive his letter. He said, God has set him free. And he feels so good. He feels so good that he's not having to, to, to face the same challenge that he used to face. The addiction to the cigarette. And I thank God for healing him. And he also healing me. So when you're talking about graving for something, I understand. Because I was graving for freedom for four years. Thank God. Two years into the killing field, three years into two years into the, the killing field, 1975 to 79, when the Khmer Rouge arrested me, and knowing that I was a student, they showed my student identification as an evidence that I was educated. In that particular regime, we're considered as the enemy of the revolution because you're being educated. So I've been arrested along with four other high school kids. Blindfold, rip off our clothes naked, and I was the last in line. And they dragged us together, and they slaughtered one person at a time by a bamboo rod. Only one executioner is doing that, the rest is watching. The other four guys were screaming for mercy. Unfortunately, the Khmeru didn't hear it. So they smashed them one at a time, their blood was all over my body. They all die. My turn is coming. It's just a matter of second. I didn't have a lot of time to think. I don't have a lot of time to, to even imagine what's going to happen next. The only thing I know, I'm going to die. I told the world if I have opportunity like this morning to speak, to say I was the end of my rope, but I was not the end of my hope. I have a little tiny bitty hope left in me. At this moment, I'm no longer thinking of Buddha. I'm no longer thinking of the religious practice that I have in the past because on the very first day of the, the Khmer Rouge regime took place in the Buddhist temple. I witnessed that my grandparent, I told you earlier, has been killed by the Khmer Rouge. Guess what they do? My dad was quite wealthy man, so he built one image Buddha image by 24 karat gold. It's a lot of money pour into, invest into that image. It's the image that in our family we believe it was our God who protecting us, who bless us, and the bless the business that my father was doing. Therefore, my father was willing to invest a lot of money to build that image. And I, that's about this size. It's huge. It's a lot of money. 
I've been instructed as a child when I go to school in the morning, I greet my parents and say, Mom and Dad, thank you very much for today. I'm going to go to school. And then I've been also instructed by my grandparents and my parents that you need to greet our God as well. So that God is like this. And he's there every day, same image, never changed. So I'm going to school now, God. So when I'm coming home, I greet my parent, I greet my God. And my parent at least come and hug me or smile or whatever. But my God is still like that. He never changed his image. But in me, because I was spiritual blind, so I want his blessing. But on April 17, the Khmeru broke that particular image that our family worship and considers our God into small pieces and smash my grandparents with it. And they all buried together. So in my critical moment in 1977, when the Khmeru was about to slaughter me, instead of cry out to Buddha, I cry out to an unknown God and I believe there must be God out there who greater than Buddha, who even more powerful than the Khmer Rouge. Hear what I said. Lord of the universe, whoever you are, please spare my life, and I promise to be your witness. Thank God that the executioner has already got his bamboo rod that was coming pretty close to my left ear. And I can feel it was already coming. And then I finished my prayer. And the same time the voice come from behind said, Stop! Stop! Don't kill him! Stop! And the executioner have a very difficult time because he have to, you know, redirect the bamboo rod away from my neck. That's what he targeted right here. So he's coming pretty close and then boom! Going like this. So I'm alive. Thank God that nobody know anything about Sitan Lee. Thank God I'm in the middle of nowhere in the killing field of Cambodia. But there's one person out there who knows everything about my life. Who care about me. As a matter of fact, he heard my cries. So my life has been spared. And then I receive a new assignment. The Khmeru leader who stopped the killing hand me a piece of paper and pencil and asking me to draw him a blueprint of irrigation system for the area that I was being enslaved in the western side of Cambodia. Because he got in trouble with the revolution leader. He needed to increase the rice production. And he thought being a, a student, a university student like myself, I'm able to provide him with a blueprint of irrigation system. Friend, let me tell you this. I wish I know how. Because I was a medical student. If they asked me about medical, I probably know something about it. But they asked me to draw an irrigation plan. I know absolutely nothing about it. Never been trained, never heard of it. But here the condition. It said, you need to draw me a blueprint of irrigation plan. But if you don't make it right, you're going to be dead. <laughs> you know what I told the Lord of the universe? 
I say, you know what, Lord of Universe, thank you so much for sparing my life for five minutes. <laughs> I'm done. It's over. So here, I, I actually, like this, raise my hand like this, and my right hand with a pencil that the Khmer Rouge given to me, and the left hand with a, a bunch of blank paper. I hold like this, I say, thank you for five minutes living. I'm dead. And then I told the Khmer just kill me. And then when I was giving up, somebody hold pretty tight on my right wrist. So I took a little peek. Couldn't find anybody. Couldn't see it. And then all of a sudden on the left wrist. I look at, open my eye pretty big at this time. I couldn't see it. So it holds still like this. And then I start pushing toward each other. And I start relaxing. And then that invisible person start helping me draw something. I have no clue. At the end was a blueprint of irrigation plan that the Khmer Rouge won. So that invisible person did the job. And my assignment then I present to the Khmer Rouge and he said, yes, that's very good. I want you to oversee the whole project for the next one year. I'm going to bring slaves from all over the country to, to participate in this irrigation plan. You need to oversee the whole thing. I just asked, well, whoever you are, the invisible person, please help me. I have no clue. So the following 12 months, we finished all the project. Unfortunately, almost all of the slaves, almost 10,000 of them involved in this project die of overwork and starvation. I watch them die every day. I can't help it but finish the project. And why all of you to come to Cambodia, I will show you that irrigation plan is still there today, one of the very best in the country. It's written on by the secular newspaper in Colorado called the Rocky Mountain News. The eight-year reporter and photographer went all the way to Cambodia, spent three weeks over there, tried to investigate my testimony and want to prove me wrong, but come back with a 12-part series article on the front cover page called The Healing Field. So the eight-year wrote about God. Is that funny? And that's what is the evidence. And then... I continued to leave two more years in the killing field. Finished it one year, and then after the finish, I continued to work and struggling in the youth camp. Then I hear the war broke up. Vietnamese start coming in and fighting with the Khmer Rouge, and this time I took an opportunity to escape. On my way toward west, toward Thailand, which is a journey about a couple hundred kilometers mostly on my chest, crawling at night. I won't go during the day. I'm afraid I'm going to meet the soldier. I'm going to die. So I wait until up to dark and then start crawling as far as I can, as much as I can, going toward west. So the journey itself is very difficult. But when I was in the middle of the jungle, here's a man coming out of nowhere in the jungle in the bush, Long hair, pretty ugly looking. And coming and approach toward me and pushed me down to the ground 
on both of my shoulder and hear what he said. This is about 1979, two years after my life being spared from the Khmer Rouge. He said, young man, do you know the Lord of the universe? His name is Jesus Christ. One step forward, you and I may step on landmine, and you and I may die. But if you have Jesus, you die just like you go to bed here on earth and wake up in a beautiful heaven. But if you refuse Jesus, the Lord of the universe, one step forward, you and I may step on landmine, and you and I are going to die, and we're going to go to hell with eternal flame. Do you want him? Man. What a coincidence. Two years prior to that, 1977, I prayed to the unknown God by the name of the Lord of the universe. And two years later, somebody in the middle of the jungle introduced me to him. And his name was Jesus. Humanly speaking, you use the term coincidence. <laughs> but there's no coincidence in the kingdom of God. So I dropped to the ground and receive Christ in the middle of the jungle. And then I continued my journey to Thailand. Two days later, I was reunited with this man. He was not an angel. He was a real person. He was a survivor in a killing field as much as I did. And then together, we planned church. And in six months, we got about 35,000 people surrender their life to Christ. I have privilege to watch people come into Christ every single day. I have privilege to disciple them. And I myself disciple myself because I never heard of Christianity prior to the killing field. Every single day I have to go to the man who led me to the Lord and he recites the one scripture worth a day and explain what it means. And I use that same scripture to go and disciple others and myself. When I say myself because I've never been trained before. So this is the first time. So the next six months, i still never seen a Bible. Kmeru captured all the Bible, but this man remembers Scripture. So he recites Scripture every single day for us. And thank God, my life has not only been spared, but God gave me opportunity to serving him. Beginning at the very young age, I was known as young teacher Lukru Khmer in Khmer. So since I, I wish I'm still young teacher <laughs> at that time because I was only 19 years old. So I'm very young among the other and has been serving the Lord since then. The Lord opened door for me to go all the way to America, a city called Denver, Colorado. And then I arrived there welcoming with a snowstorm and every airport was shut down. So I trapped at the airport overnight when I arrived in that town. Coincidentally, my wife looked down from the plane window before we landed. She got all excited. You know what she said? She turned. We got plenty of salt out there, so we're not going to be shortage of any salt. Because the white field, I mean, they thought it was a salt farm. Until we arrived 
They opened the plane door and we walked out. Man, <laughs> that salt is cold. So, and we didn't have proper clothes. <laughs> and that's, that's another story itself. But what I tell you, ladies and gentlemen, Galatians 5.1, it become real to us. Galatians 5.1 said, that was the very first scripture that was quoted to me by this man I met in the jungle. But it was like three days later, when we was reunited in the refugee camp, he quoted Galatians 5.1 for me. Hear what it said, it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm and then do not let yourself be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. I can talk about this another hour. It was not easy. But it's so precious to me and many of my people. Again, I'm talking about being a slave now. All of a sudden, God said, it is for freedom. I'm willing to give up my heaven. Heavenly throne to come down and die on the cross of Calvary so that I can set you free. You know, it's very difficult for me to receive this. It took me three and a half hours to accept the scripture. And I, I don't have time this morning to talk about why and how. But all I can tell you, it's so precious to us, but it's unbelievable. It's not easy to believe that a heavenly God who have everything and willing to come down and save a stinky man like me, who have not had soap, shampoo, toothbrush, or anything whatsoever for four years. If I had to come and meet you at that time and I get out of the killing field, you probably don't want to come near to me. I think my smell would probably go two kilometers away. Because that's how I was. But this heavenly God, willing to come down and die on the cross and set me free. That's why I have a hard time accepting it. But until I fully understood, then I'm gratefully receive it from God. I come back next year, hopefully. <laughs> I will talk to you about the power of forgiveness. All in my brain was revenge, 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 and revenge. I don't want the Khmer Rouge to get away with it. When I got out into freedom, I was thinking the Khmer Rouge is number one priority in my life. I'm going to come back and get them. That God have a different plan. Completely different plan. And I can talk to you another hour about the power of forgiveness. How God has enabled me to forgive the Khmer Rouge. It's not with my own ability and strength. But only by the grace of God and his strength. And the power that he provided within me. That's one of the most powerful experience I ever have in my entire life. And through that experience, God set me free and used me to do what I do today. Thousands upon thousands of people have been affected by the gospel message that God has opened the door for me and Rhonda, my wife, to do. The girl who's been sold to prostitution has been set free. They're enslaved by the PIM, but God set them free through our ministry. The girl who's about to be brought into that kind of lifestyle has been prevented because by God's grace, we was able to provide some services 
many children who's been orphaned because of the war, it's been cared for only by God's grace. All of this is happening because God has forgiven us. And not only that, he enables us and empowers us to forgive the Khmer Rouge. I'm happy to tell you this. More than half of my pastoral staff that employed by Transform Asia was former Khmer Rouge leader. One of them is a propaganda minister worked on the right hand of Paul Pot. Another person who's also I have privilege to work with and led to the Lord is General Tit, who is commander-in-chief of all of Khmer Rouge Army, 35,000 committed army. Those who were responsible shedding blood and killed 3.5 million people. And God have opened door for me to go and let this guy to the Lord. And the civil war in Cambodia come to an end in 1998. I can finish with this. The United Nations has spent $4.5 billion, the largest spending in United Nations history as far as to bring peacekeeping force into one nation. And that's what they did in 1993 to Cambodia. The best they can do for Cambodia, I'm sorry to tell you this, is bring HIV to our nation. That's the best they can do. The civil war continued to go on until 1998. And who brought the peace and stability to this nation? There's only one person and him and him alone, but Jesus Christ. When General Tit surrendered to Christ, the civil war come to an end. This guy is responsible of doing civil war, and I give him a new command. Let's continue fighting the war, but this time, Matthew 28. <laughs> Fight a spiritual war. So General Tit now is fighting spiritual war with us. Again, this is a man who is responsible for killing 3.5 million people. And now praising God just like you and me. It's amazing. Only Jesus can do this. There's no other. Not that I know of. God bless you. Thank you, Sitan, for sharing something of your story, for provoking us and challenging us to believe God for amazing things. If the band can come back, please, that would be good. Adam, where are you? I'm going to pray, and I'm going to pray that God does something in us. And then I want to pray for Sitan and for all that he's involved in. We've said for a while that we knew that he was going to be a blessing to us and I'd like us to be a blessing to him as well. Sitan, can you just come back up here? That would be great. Ray and John, do you want to come and lay hands on him? We're going to pray in just a second. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the power of forgiveness. We thank you for your work. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for all that you accomplished on the cross and thank you that because of what you did, you made it possible for Satan and others to forgive and to find you. <laughs> and we thank you for that.
We thank you, Lord, that we've found you. We thank you that you've made it possible that we too can have a relationship with you, the Lord of the universe. And Father, we want to thank you now for Sitan and Randa. Thank you for all that they're involved with, Lord, for the ministry of transformation. And Lord God, we want to pray now for your hand of blessing to continue upon them and all that they're involved in. Father, we thank you for the churches that have planted, that they're working with now. Lord, we thank you for uh, the orphanage. We thank you for the feeding program. Lord, we thank you for the education programs. Lord, we thank you for rescuing girls from prostitution and for rescuing those who are um, at risk of entering that lifestyle. Lord, we thank you for all that you have accomplished and continue to do in this nation. But Lord, we know it's a nation that uh, that mostly doesn't know you. Lord, we know the Khmer people group is one of the most unreached people groups in the world. And so, Father, we want to pray this morning for your kingdom to advance in that nation. Lord, we pray for your hand to be upon them and all that they're involved with. Father, we pray that you'll bless them this morning, Lord, for Randa as she's in Cambodia. Lord Jesus, we pray for your hand on her. Lord, as she's uh, uh, showing others around the medical work they're involved with. Uh, Father, we pray for your hand to be upon them. And Lord Jesus, we pray that you might speak to us as to what our part might be, our small part might be, to be able to support, encourage, bless, and partner with what you're doing here. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's worship the Lord as we finish. to this Jubilee Church podcast. Feel free to check out our website at www.jubilee.org.uk.